We are uh, back in our Impact World series. We've gone through the first five chapters where we see the, uh, the church in its infancy. And now we return to chapter 6 of the book of Acts. We'll read the first seven verses for our text today. Luke writes, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. As we work through this text, this is the the single governing thought Addressing conflict with wisdom and love reflects Christ to the watching world. Now there's a lot more that I wanted to to wrap up into this, but when I boiled it down to its essence, this is what came out of that that, uh, particular furnace. Addressing conflict with wisdom and love reflects Christ to the watching world. As they handled this conflict, the conflict that, that... couldn't change the fact that it was there, right? There, there were complaints. Now we got complaints. What are we going to do with it? People did not come to Christ because there was no conflict. But people were more and more attracted. It amplified the message. It magnified it. It was like coming through a loudspeaker now. All of the, the preaching that they had done about Christ, all the talk about love, the way they handled the conflict demonstrated it. And as they showed this, more and more people were coming to Christ. The number of disciples was increasing rapidly. As we work through this text, there are some observations that uh, catch my attention. Hopefully they will catch yours as well. Six observa- or, uh, There are five observations in Acts 6 that turn an obstacle here into an opportunity. What could have been the downfall of the church instead becomes its great testimony. First we see this, changes bring challenges. Changes bring challenges. That's what's happening. Change is inevitable. This is a reality. As they're growing, as the church is increasing... This change is inevitable, and it inevitably brings with it certain problems or challenges. The conflict that we see here in this passage didn't arise from sinful attitudes or practices. Now, we saw that in chapter 5 with 
with uh, um, Ananias and Sapphira. There was a sin that was involved. That's not what's happening here. The conflict here doesn't come from sinful attitudes or practices, but from natural human limitations. As it grows, the problems arise. The church was vibrant. It was growing. Growth is itself change. So the problems arose from things going right. To borrow from Jesus, the new wine was active and expanding, and it was splitting the old wineskins. The inevitable conflict actually, rather than creating a problem, led to a new structure that they never would have otherwise considered. And that new structure took them to new heights. Secondly, we've, we've noted that changes bring challenges. Secondly, we notice faithfulness demands focus. Faithfulness demands focus. The apostles, the twelve, are confronted with this problem. Hey, what is happening How come our widows are getting overlooked and their widows are getting all that they need? Well, they could hunker down and work a little harder and spend a little more time figuring that out. But to do that, to focus their attention there, meant that they would be neglecting their primary ministry of the teaching and preaching, getting the Word of God out not only to unbelievers, but to the believers, to make disciples. That's their primary job. It's easy for us to find ourselves doing good things that may not be the right things. Doing, I, I'm terrible about this. In fact, my wife can probably say amen to this readily. I'll get caught up doing things that really need to get done. They're just not the thing I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be doing... A, and I end up doing B, and I'm so excited about B, but in the meantime, I neglected A. And the apostles say, wait a minute. If we're going to be faithful to our call, we have to focus. We have to narrow this down. They recognize that it's important for leaders not to see themselves as above any serving task, they, they weren't saying, oh, we're too good to be waiting tables. I've, I've heard it preached that way. You know, oh, we're preachers. Preachers aren't supposed to be doing that. Well, that's garbage. That's, if you have a leader who thinks they're above some menial task or they're above serving others, you need to fire that leader. They need to be gone because that is not the Christ-like attitude. In fact, Jesus himself washed his disciples' feet. And he said, look, this, this is the example I'm setting for you. You need to have the attitude that you're willing to serve everybody else. You want to be great in the kingdom? You need to become least in the kingdom. That's how this upside-down kingdom works. Now, as they are coming through this, they didn't see themselves as above this task. But while a leader has to be humble enough to be willing to do anything... The leader must also not lose sight of their primary role. A commander in the military must be ready to fight when fighting is required, but his primary job is to lead. When a choice has to be made between the two things, between the fighting and the leading, he has to choose to focus on his primary role. 
It's easy for pastors to, to get caught up in these things. It's easy for people in any walk of life. But when we start trying to do everything ourselves, it's not healthy for the church. We'll see more about that as we go. We have to remember that we're not above any serving task, but we have a primary role. That's true for each one of us. God's made us to do certain things. Nobody can do everything, nor should we. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And when these apostles start to become distracted or overwhelmed by this task, the church has outgrown the structure. They needed to come up with a new structure that allowed them to focus on their primary role while ensuring that the good work of distributing the food still took place. They recognized that to be faithful to their task, they had to delegate. It was very easy for them to do it when it was small, to do everything that needed to be done. But now, that's not going to work anymore. Take a look, actually. Stay marked in, in Acts 6, but turn back to the book of Exodus. When you get to Exodus, find chapter 18. Nice thing about finding Exodus is it's real easy. It's the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. And in Genesis chapter 18, Moses receives a visit from his father-in-law. And uh, as a a man with a a very wise father-in-law, I can appreciate this scene. Moses is in a situation where he's been doing what he knew how to do. And he did it as well as he could. He was the judge over Israel, and the people were bringing him all the cases to decide. He was leading them, and it was all that he knew. And his father-in-law comes in with a new kind of wisdom for him. Uh, And we'll start with verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Now, this isn't, he's not saying, how dare you? You don't have the authority. He's saying, this isn't wise. You're doing all the work. They're just here taking. You can't survive this. Verse 15, Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. So many times I've seen pastors and other Christian leaders get caught up in the same cycle. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them His decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you 
The simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for themselves. Then Moses sent his, father, his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Delegation's not new. It's wisdom. It's interesting, isn't it, that God did not say, Here, Moses, here's how I want you to do this. He left him to learn and to discern. God gives us a brain for a reason. He expects us to use it. And... He gives us wise fathers-in-law for a reason, and he expects us to listen. So, so Jethro comes, and he gives him this advice, and Moses applies it, and the people are better served. Moses is less exhausted. The people are less frustrated. Everybody wins. Back to Acts chapter 6. That's exactly what happens here. They needed to have a focus on their primary role, and they needed to delegate the work, which brings us to our third point. Change brings challenges. Changes bring challenges. Faithfulness demands focus. Next we see that God's work requires God's wisdom. God's work requires God's wisdom. Notice that these men, serving in the same role that would later be called the office of deacon by Paul and and others, uh, we, we still use that term today. Deacon basically just means servant or a servant leader. And so the the role of deacon. It's not mentioned here, but it's the same function. And in this functionality, we see in chapter 6 the forerunners of what Paul would refer to as deacons. Notice that they were to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That is, they needed to have both spiritual and practical wisdom and insight. They needed not only to be able to do the job, but to be governed in themselves by the Spirit of God. They needed to be wise according to God's Holy Spirit. But they also needed to be practically wise and fit for the task. They needed to be skilled in administration to be able to do this. So it was a twofold role. God's work required God's wisdom, both the character and the skill. I've often said I love my sister. I do love my sister. But I would never hire her as a football coach. Because while I love my sister, she's not skilled as a football coach. She is highly skilled as as an administrator in education. So she serves well as a principal. She was an excellent teacher. She's good at a lot of things. Football's not one of them. The same thing happens here. They choose people who are, first and foremost, they must be people of character. Just as Jethro told Moses, find Find men who hate dishonest gain. Find men whose character is absolutely, innately opposed to corruption. Find men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom so that they can do this job in a way that brings God's wisdom to bear on God's work. Godliness was required, but they also needed to be fit for the task. It's foolish to expect a fish to climb a tree. In the same way, God has gifted each one of us differently We must use those gifts to serve one another in the church for God's glory. In fact, that's our memory verse for today, 1 Peter 4.10. 
Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I'm going to read that for you again because I want to make sure that it gets into our heads and our hearts. This is 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's so many passages I'd like to take you to, to, to today, but if we do that, we'll, we'll never go home. It's really, it's really throughout the entire book of Scripture that we see a call to wisdom. Look at the book of Proverbs. Look at the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a call to wisdom. And a big part of the wisdom, the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. There is a necessity, if we're going to really be wise about how reality works, then we must know and revere and cherish the maker of reality. We can't get away from it. But notice that God does make each one of us differently. He gives us gifts that are to be used for the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Let's jump to verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, different ways of serving in the church, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Let me read that part again because I don't want it to skip past you in your mind. A lot of times when we read this, we see it as some kind of a list of spiritual gifts. That's not what this is. It's not a, 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 a list where you have to find yourself somewhere on this list, and if you don't show up here, then oh my goodness, God's not dealing with you. God has given each of us gifts. That is clear. Paul very seldom tries to present exhaustive lists to us. Here, he gives examples that draw us in, but the point of the entire thing still comes out in, in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, in other words, the presence, the Spirit making His presence known, is given for the common good. The Spirit is manifesting Himself in you, in me, in gifts for the use, for the ministry use in the church, for the common good. Verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. He's not trying to give you an exhaustive list. He's trying to say the list is exhaustive. There's a lot that can happen, but it's all the same Spirit doing the work in you, through you, for the common good. Verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Then He goes into kind of the, the, the fallout from that. The reason He's bringing this up is the Corinthian church is having some conflict. They're dealing with jealousy. They are doing exactly the opposite of what we find in Acts chapter 6. Instead of coming together, not caring who gets the credit, they're overly concerned with who gets the credit, who's exercising what gifts, why does she get to do that and I don't get to do that, how come he gets to play the ukulele and I don't get to play the ukulele, what's, what's going on, why are we all squabbling over the gifts? This is what Paul is bringing out. 
So then in this next section, he says, look, we're, we're one body, but we have lots of parts. Notice verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. He goes on to talk about the idea that just because you don't think your gift is important doesn't mean it's not important. Or just because you think your gift is more important than somebody else's doesn't mean it's more important than somebody else's. We are all equally given gifts by God, but they're not the same gift. And while we're equally given gifts by God, the gifts themselves are not necessarily equal. We have different roles. God has called you to do something. And He's called the person next to you to do something else. He's called me to preach. There are some things that He has not called me to do. And when I try to do them, it's like a fish trying to climb a tree. Sometimes He calls you to do the thing in front of you that may not be the strongest area of your gifting, but it needs to be done. And absent someone else, He's calling you to step up. The governing principle, as we saw in verse 7, is still the common good. Just as we saw in 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift, whatever gift you have received to serve others. By using your gifts to serve others, then you show yourselves to be faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We're all invested in it. When all the people of God are using all the gifts of God to do all the work of God, all for the glory of God, then all of us grow. Every part of the body is fed when every part of the body is functioning. But when there is disease, a failure to function properly in one part of the body, that disease spreads to every part. If you get coronavirus, it's not coming in through your kneecap. It's coming in through some orifice. That's why they have you wear masks and uh, cover your eyes. Because it can come in through those super important mouth and eyes. Everybody hears your mouth talk. Everybody sees your eyes, but not everybody gets to see the other parts of your body. The other parts of your body aren't taking in the virus. We have to be mindful in the role of the body that we all have a role. We all have a place. And the more we involve ourselves together, the better off we all are. In fact, our next point is this. Involvement breeds investment. Involvement breeds investment. When all of the body is working together, then we all are a little more excited about it. The apostles were wise enough to see that the people involved in the complaint should be involved in the solution. Right? So the, the Grecian Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, who felt like outsiders to the Hebraic Jews, this is coming out of Jerusalem, so they're feeling like they're outsiders, feel like they're slighted. How do we fix this? Let's involve those who are in the complaint in the solution. The people picked the men, right? They picked these seven. These are men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, skilled to be able to administrate this work. 
Notice that the apostles tell them, but we're back in Acts chapter 6, by the way, if you're still in 1 Corinthians, um, that the apostles tell them that these should be men who are known to you. They should be men that you actually know and respect, and you can vouch for them yourselves that they are full of the Holy Spirit, that they are full of wisdom. These are trustworthy men. This is why at Real Life our overseers are voted on every year. It's you know, generally the same group of men, but we want everybody involved in affirming We don't have everybody involved in every decision of the church, but we want everybody involved in affirming that those who lead us are trustworthy. And if you don't think they're trustworthy, then how can you effectively be ministered to by them? So we have to involve the people in this, and that's what we see happening here. So the people chose them, the people knew them, the people vouched for them, and when they presented them to the apostles, the apostles approved and ordained them. They placed their hands on them. They prayed over them. They said, yes, we're going to give you our our benediction, our blessing. We're going to send you forth to do this job, and we're going to empower you to do it. We're going to trust you to do what needs to be done. You're doing this as, as if you were our own arm. We're delegating our authority and leadership to you to do this work so that we can stay focused and faithful on our primary role. Notice the reaction. Everybody's involved in the decision, therefore everybody was invested. As it comes up in uh, the book of Acts, the twelve gather them in verse 2, and they say, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Notice in verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group now that's a pretty big deal because it's pretty tough to find any proposal that's going to please a whole group of people especially that big the point here is not that every decision needs to be approved by all the people the point is that it's amenable to the people because it is involving them and involvement breeds investment the people were pleased with the wisdom of the plan and everybody felt valued everybody felt loved we as the church are a body. And as Paul wrote, we all have a role to play in that body. Every member is part of it. We don't all have the same role, but we all have a valuable God-given role. We need to remember that and keep us all involved. You don't have the right, as a Christ follower, as a member of the church, to be a consumer. To sit back and let others do while you show up on Sundays, not now, you show up online on Sundays, and then you go home. Well, we'll let them take care of that. We're a body. We all have a role. And if you're not being used in your role, then step up and make somebody let you be used. Every single person in the church has the opportunity to tell others about Jesus. Every single person in the church has the opportunity to serve someone. And if we're not doing those things, if we're not living and functioning as members of the body, well, just like in your physical body, you're dragging it down. That's how it works. A non-functioning member of your physical body, when an organ isn't working right, 
It is diseased. And it's harmful. When your lungs stop functioning properly, it hurts the rest of the body. When your heart isn't functioning properly, it hurts the rest of the body. When your endocrine glands don't work properly, when your thyroid is off, when, when you have plaque in your arteries, when you have a virus in your system, or if you even have an infected, ingrown toenail, it affects all of your body. A tiny little cut could lead to death because infection sets in and it gets in the blood. That is exactly how it works with the church. We are called, all of us, to serve and to function. Not all the same. We don't all have the same role, but we all have a valuable God-given role. Changes bring challenges. Faithfulness demands focus. God's work requires God's wisdom. Involvement breeds investment. Lastly, I want you to see that our modeling proves our message. Our modeling proves our message. The way they handled this situation is what leads us to verse 7, so the Word of God spread. So the Word of God spread. So the Word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Our core reality, as I mentioned earlier, is that addressing conflict with wisdom and love reflects Christ to the watching world. Conflict happens. Problems arise. What we do in the situations that we have will either confirm or deny the gospel that we preach. People are attracted to our message when they see Jesus in our behavior. Modeling Christ promotes the message of Christ. Gospel living drives gospel preaching. It validates what's being said. We can preach all day long, but if we live a different message, that's the message people will hear. I am my neighbor's Bible. He reads me when we meet. Today it may be in the church, tomorrow on the street. But in any case, when I encounter that person, what they see in me is a reflection of the Christ I am preaching. Your witness hinges on your faithfulness to to live with wisdom and love. The reality of life is that we believe what we see. We are really not convinced by fancy arguments. Paul hammered that home in his letters to the church. I didn't come trying to convince you with high-sounding words like those so-called super-apostles who come through and preach and give you all kinds of hyped-up messages and big promises I didn't try to impress you with my words. We came living our lives in front of you. You saw us. You walked through life with us. Our job with our behavior, as well as our words, in making them match up, is to connect the reality of God to the realities of life. Why... 
is the gospel spreading more after the conflict? Because the way they handled the conflict demonstrated the character of Christ. They reflected the reality of Christ through their relationships. And people were drawn. For those of you who like alliteration, just to throw a little thought out at you, if our modeling proves our message, if if people are drawn in when they see Jesus in us more than a hearing, then maybe jot this down. The consistency of our conduct and character amid crisis confirms the credibility of our creeds. The consistency of our conduct and character amid crisis confirms the credibility of our creeds. People may doubt what you say, but they will believe what you show them with your life. I, you know, I keep telling people about Jesus, but they really they don't accept Him. They're not buying it. Could it be because the Jesus they see in you The Jesus they see walked out in your everyday life? The Jesus that we have far too often portrayed in the church at large doesn't match the Jesus we preach about from the Bible? The world was impacted because this small band of people lived the gospel. And they didn't hesitate to tell anybody. Let me wrap this up. In this life, problems will arise. Of that, you can be sure. If you haven't figured that out yet, then you haven't been paying attention. That will always happen in every organization, in every family. If you've been married for more than 10 minutes, you know husbands and wives fight. That's okay. It really is okay. Conflict happens, and it's not bad in itself question is what we do about it. When problems arise, addressing conflict with wisdom and love reflects Christ to the watching world. Keep this in mind this week as you're faced with choices about how to respond to circumstances that you don't like or how you respond to people who disagree with you or even disrespect you. You're going to face those things. Some of you, as I as I sit here, you know, Rachel and Shelly are, are here with us in the band and you're working at the bank and people get stressed over their money, don't they? Especially when the government makes promises you've got to try and keep up with. And people don't always act well when they're stressed. Sometimes they're disrespectful. Sometimes your husband may not keep up his end of the deal. Sometimes your wife might be like the wife in Proverbs. It's like a a, a dripping faucet or a, a, a leaky roof. Sometimes your children disobey. Sometimes your boss is a jerk. Sometimes your Christian brothers and sisters fail and they don't act right because they're human, just like you. As you go through your week and you run into these things, keep this reality in mind. The obstacle affords you the opportunity to reflect the reality of Christ through your relationships. When we do that, God is glorified and the world is impacted for Christ. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, you have given us your word so that we could not primarily have a list of do's and don'ts or a self-help manual, but so that we could know you. That we might understand reality as you have made it. And in aligning our thoughts with that which is actually real, that we might live a life that honors you. Father, remind us that the bond we share is bigger than anything that might divide us. That the blood of Christ is what makes us family. And just like we see in Acts 6, Father, whatever conflict arises, it just becomes, it just becomes a, an opportunity, a stepping stone, a platform to be able to display the glorious grace of Christ. Help us to do that actively and with joy whenever problems arise. These things we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.